Isabel. Hi, Jake. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and taking the time. Uh, was really, you know, fascinated to, to stumble upon some of your content uh, for, you know, in support of, of uh, nuclear energy. Uh, you had some pretty innovative, innovative, excuse me, ways to get the word out on TikTok and, and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I think you call yourself a nuclear energy influencer, which is a, a title that you might have made up. And, you know, I, I don't know if I know anyone else with that title and, and it's a cool one. So I uh, want to get started, Isabel, just talking about your background. I understand you uh, you grew up in Brazil and would love to kind of take that. And, uh, you know, eventually we'll get to what you're doing today. Sure. Yeah. So I was born and grew up in a very small town in the south of Brazil. So when people think of Brazil, they think of like Rio and Samba and the beach. And where I'm from is the opposite. It's just farms, horses, and a lot of agriculture. So you see a lot of crops everywhere. Um, so it's like a very quaint part of Brazil. And that's where I grew up and went to school and spent, you know, like 10 to 12 years of my life. That's great. Um, and so, you know, what was it like growing up in, in like a rural area of Brazil? Did you always have your eyes set on kind of, you know, coming to the States and bigger things outside of Brazil? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, you, you don't know what you don't know, you know, and, and everyone around me led very similar lives. Um, people don't dream much because this is a very, very small town. So, you know, people's futures is basically like you grow up, you get married, you have babies and that's pretty much it. Um, I was always pretty cu curious and I remember watching American movies and, and thinking to myself, oh, there is a world beyond my bubble, right? So I had these ambitions, which maybe I couldn't verbalize at the time, but I knew I had this, this desire to explore beyond, um, you know, the city that I lived in. And I, you know, I grew up there, I, I went to Catholic school most of my life, because in Brazil, you, you pretty much have only two, two choices in small towns. It's you either go to a Catholic school or you go to a public school and public education in South American corrupt countries are not, is not very good. So I ended up going to Catholic school. But that also meant that I grew up actually believing that the earth was created by God and Adam and Eve were the, fir the first humans and, you know, the whole thing that comes with, with, um, with religion. Um, and everybody around me was super religious as well. So that, I think that contributed to, you know, not having that curiosity. Um, I, had, I had definitely curiosity to explore beyond, but I didn't have much intellectual curiosity and definitely wasn't motivated to, seek for answers beyond what was given to me, what was found in, in the book, in the case of Bible. Um, so that was kind of growing up there. When I was older, when I was about 12 years old, I moved to a bigger city, um, a little bit north of where I was born. And, you know, that was, an, that was kind of like my first step outside of this rural, rural life. Um, definitely got exposed to bigger and more ideas, but still confined, you know, within the realms of a fairly religious country and everyone around me was still pretty religious. Um, so I, I was definitely incentivized to explore more intellectually, but not, you know, but not, not really beyond um, what people around me believed. 
So yeah, anyway, it um, sounds like it sounds like you didn't have like a whole lot of people to look up to around you. You know, you could find maybe on the internet, but you didn't have a lot of like peers that were interested in in things outside of religion or outside of kind of the normal expected yeah. life path. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and the internet back then wasn't the internet that we have now. I mean, I'm 30 years old, so at the time, you know, when I was 12, the internet was it was hard to stumble upon information. Whereas nowadays it's like, it's hard to stay away from information, right? Um, so yeah, definitely. And, and my peers, and Brazil is a, is a country that culturally doesn't, um, doesn't glorify and doesn't stimulate people to like science or, or, or look up to scientists. So yeah, it was, it was very much, I was curious, but not about things that were really relevant. I, I don't know if that makes sense. So yeah, I wasn't really incentivized. Um, that all changed uh, when I moved to the US. And I can go over a little bit the story of how I got to move to the US, if you'd like. Um, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So you know, how, how'd you get to the US? How did you kind of, you know, break the shackles, for lack of a better word, on this religious, you know, perspective that you had grown up with? and realize that there's other perspectives out there um, and come to love science. Yeah, so when I was 17 years old, it was my last year of high school. And I was, I was leaving my school a little bit early. And as I'm stepping outside, this man starts running towards me and he's carrying a microphone and, and a guy behind him is carrying a camera. And you know, he comes up really close up to my face. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> is this guy going to kidnap me or something? And he, he asked, are you a model? And I said, no. He goes, well, there's a competition going on in your city tomorrow. I think you would be great. You should definitely participate. And this is one of the moments where I saw this opportunity present itself in my life. And all this, you know, the, all this previous curiosity to step beyond my bubble um, came to life and I saw, I saw that as a very clear opportunity to, to explore the world in a way that also allowed me to make money, which was a perfect combination. And so I ended up going to this competition, ended up, you know, doing the whole rounds and everything. And that, and that launched me into a modeling career. And I started working in Brazil and then I worked in Argentina for a little bit. Then I ended up coming to the US and stayed based in the United States. I traveled throughout Europe, but would always come back to the United States. So that's how I made my way out. But you know, when sometimes you can make physically your way out, it doesn't mean that mentally you have made your way out. So it took me a couple of years to start asking, to start really questioning the beliefs that I grew up with. And there was one moment that I can clearly recall, which is the thing that set me on a path to explore and become very passionate about science. And that was um, my cousin who was already interested in these topics, bought a book and had it sent to my house because um, the book was not published in Brazil yet. So he needed me to bring it to him. And the book sat in a box for like, you know, a month or something. And one day, just out of pure curiosity, I decided to read it. And I always recall this moment because it's truly like I have such a vivid memory of sitting in my bed, reading this book and getting goosebumps and thinking, oh my God, how did I not know any of this? And the book was um, The Greatest Show on Earth by Richard Dawkins, which is a book about evolution. Now, 
I don't recall it. I might have heard of evolution previously, but it never stuck with me. And it was always presented in a context. It was almost like, well, there's this theory of evolution, but it's not really true, right? It was, it was, it was kind of like the professors had the duty of talking about it, but they made it, they played it down. And so um, I read the whole book and I just remember my brain like expanding and, and it just made me so curious about the world. It was like, the, it was like rediscovering the world in a way. So I went on Amazon and searched for the book and then saw all the, you know, the books like this recommendations and started ordering a bunch of books and, you know, really had to teach myself how to think in a more scientific way and all the scientific topics that I didn't know before. Um, and I kind of, you know, I, I kind of, I am a little upset that it took me this long because I was 19 at the time. And I sometimes think to myself, oh man, what if I had learned all of these things growing up, right? What, what could have been of my life? Maybe I would have been a scientist, um, who knows? But at the same time, I'm glad that I had to force myself to learn because then I learned how to learn subjects, which I now find a, an extremely important skill to have. Yeah, and it's a really interesting story, obviously, like finding your ticket out of Brazil through modeling and then coming on to this intellectual pursuit. And, you know, like you mentioned, doing all of that after kind of your formal education was pretty much over. Um, so like you learned a lot in school, but maybe not about exactly what was really interesting to you. And then once you kind of after the fact, stumbled upon science and uh, you know, later, more specifically, I imagine the climate crisis and, and nuclear energy and stuff like that, you started to have to, you know, learn how to learn yourself and learn how to teach yourself. And it sounds like it started with this book. Were you a big reader at all before that? Like my, myself, I didn't really start reading. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if this applies to you, but I didn't really start reading books cover to cover until like after college. I just hated being assigned stuff and, and wasn't particularly interested um, and still have like a you know, a skepticism with books where like, you know, you read the wrong thing and you come to believe it and just trust it blindly. Uh, you know, for me, like an author has to kind of earn my trust to some degree. Um, so, you know, I would be curious, were you a reader before you stumbled upon this book that kind of opened your mind? And then how have you treated like books since then? Yeah. Oh, I love this topic of books. I actually have like a, a mini rant that I can, I, I can do on your show, <laughs> but I had been a reader. I was, I, I read a lot when I was little, but I read fiction. Um, but I, you know, I would read, I don't know, 10 books a year, which for a child is, is quite a lot of books. I loved Harry Potter growing up, of course. Um, so yeah, before, before reading the Richard Dawkins book, I was a reader. And that's the reason why I ended up reading the book is because I ran out of books to read. And I looked at it and said, huh, it looks, this, this is a nice, interesting cover. I'm going to take a look. Maybe I'll like it. Um, but I have a rant about books, which is, I think that books are not great in two ways. One way is that writers write a lot of the same arguments over and over just to fill pages. So I feel like most books could be a third of the size that they actually are. Uh, I think there's an incentive for books to be longer because you can charge more. Right which makes me very frustrated because I don't like rereading the same things. Uh, and the other rant is that it goes back to your point, which is you're only presented one argument. 
And that's why I like podcasts a lot better because you can actually have an intellectual debate and people can push back on their ideas. Whereas if you read a book, you're convinced of, it, of that idea. And, and if you don't know the counter arguments, you can just go out into the world and keep spreading that, you know, that bad meme, I'm going to say, you know, right. that bad explanation of the world. Um, so I'm, I'm with you there. I'm, I have kind of become less of a reader as time goes by. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point or a couple of good points. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing we're doing a podcast and not writing a book. Um, but I, I think that to your, to your first point about like the, you know, the writer or the author writing over and over again, kind of the same argument and beating it into the ground because he has to fill pages. It's pretty clear how you're taking the kind of exact opposite approach when you're explaining like nuclear energy in a minute in a TikTok. So, you know, I don't want to skip too many things for people who aren't so familiar. Can we talk about just how you took this methodical approach? Um, well, maybe actually we should rewind first and talk about how you got into like climate crisis and nuclear energy in the first place. And then maybe from there, uh, how you decided on your actual approach uh, going through TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and everything like that. Yeah, sure. So because I became so curious about science and so interested in science, and none of my peers were, you know, talking about those things in, in the fashion industry. I ended up having to sign up for Twitter, which is where I really found my tribe and where, where I started following a ton of scientists. And one of the scientists was, was Carolyn Porco. She used to um, work at NASA. And this was about, I, mean, I couldn't find exact the tweets, but this was about five or um, four years ago, she tweeted about molten salt thorium reactors, which is this new generation of nuclear reactors that a lot of people were super excited about. And she just kept tweeting about it and how, how it was going to you know, change the world and how she fully supported that. And that was the first time that nuclear energy registered in my mind. I'm sure I heard about it before, but it never really piqued my curiosity. But that I think for several reasons. One, she was a woman, which is rare to see women promoting nuclear energy for some reason. Two, she's, you know, a well-known, extremely smart scientist. And I had this idea that nuclear energy was bad. Um, so I went around asking a ton of people, anyone who was into science or was a scientist that I knew, I would ask, do you know anything about molten salt thorium reactors? And nobody knew anything about them at the time, or the people at least I talked to. But they, everyone seemed to agree that nuclear energy was A, a lot safer than people think, and B, actually needed to solve climate change or to tackle climate change. So, you know, I had this idea in my mind and I just, throughout the years, kept that curiosity, but never really dedicated the time to learn what I needed to learn about nuclear energy in order to even understand what a molten salt thorium reactor was. I tried a couple of times, you know, Googling or going on YouTube and it just seemed, I mean, it just seemed very complex. So I never really took the time and never had the time to, to learn about it. Um, but then fast forward to last year when the Australian fires happened and the Amazon fires happened. And listen, I know there's a lot of debate around how much climate change is to blame for those fires. We we know that there clearly is an increase in the frequency of fires, but we don't, we cannot, you know, link 
specific ones to climate change. And I'm not saying that it's just because of climate change, but for me, it was a visual representation of climate change. Especially when I saw this native Brazilian woman crying because her whole village had lost their homes. To me, that was very personal. It was just like a very emotional moment. Whereas before, the problem just seemed very abstract and in the future. So, you know, seeing that really, I don't know, really hurt me and I, I felt very sad. And I thought to myself, how can I help solve this issue? And like my skills are limited, you know, I'm a fashion model. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, the things that I can do to help the problem are very, very limited. Um, but then I started looking into the solutions to climate change. And of course, the first thing that you stumble upon is decarbonization, right? That's, that's pretty much the one thing we have to do, which sounds very easy, but it's actually very complicated to do. And the more I read, the more it became clear that nuclear energy had to be a part of the solution. And so, you know, reading about nuclear energy having to be a part of the solution and then remembering back to all these conversations that I had with scientists and, and generally smart people about nuclear energy and how, again, they repeated it, it was necessary to solve climate change. I realized, well, it's very clear that this needs to be a part of conversation, but it's, it's not being. So what, where is the disconnect here? And then of course I look at people in general, but also people who actually legitimately care about climate change. And I realized that it's just, it's just that the information was not being presented to them in a way that was easy to access, in a way that they wanted to interact with, right? If you think about the people who were promoting nuclear energy, they're usually engineers or scientists who are amazing at their job, but are not great at communication. Um, and very few people have the patience to watch a two hour YouTube video with a guy writing on a whiteboard <laughs> and talking about, you know, nuclear energy reactors. So I realized that, that really the disconnect was the way the information was being communicated because people more broadly were just not interested in consuming that. And then the other thing I realized is that the people don't think about electricity much, they don't think about energy much, much less about nuclear energy. And the only way they come across nuclear energy is through pop culture. And it's usually negative, right? It's usually The Simpsons or now late, the latest is Chernobyl. Um, so of course they're going to think that this, this technology is terrible, right? If all the information that you have about it comes through these types of shows, how could you think otherwise? So I realized that the only way I could fix this misinformation was using pop culture to actually spread the truth. Um, but of course, pop culture nowadays looks very different than, you know, The Simpsons. Pop culture now is TikTok videos, it's Instagram photos, it's tweets. Um, so I had this, I actually remembered the, the time exactly. This was like the end of December, maybe like the 28th. And I was brushing my teeth late at night and I was looking into the mirror and I was like, huh, what if I become a nuclear energy influencer? 
where I'm creating influencer type of content, which is something that people like to consume a lot nowadays, but you need to actually talk about nuclear energy. So, you know, I thought to myself, it could be like outfit of the day photos, which are very popular on Instagram, but instead of talking about the clothes, I'm actually talking about nuclear energy. Um, makeup tutorials where I start talking about my makeup, but then actually start talking about vision. Um, and I played around with the, with the idea in my head and started, started telling to a couple of people, you know, whenever, you know, whenever I was taking a flight and people would, sitting next to me would ask, you know, what, what do you do? I would say, I'm a nuclear energy influencer. And the reactions were so good because <laughs> at first they were shocked. They would look at me like I was insane and then become really curious, right? Like, what, what does that mean? And then I would start talking about nuclear energy. And very soon I realized that nobody knows much about it. And the only ideas they have are, again, about this shows, right? Chernobyl, The Simpsons, it's dangerous. It's, it has killed millions of people. And when, you start, and when I started telling them the facts and, and the truth, they were shocked and super curious. And I am sure all of them learned one thing or you know one or two things and that's when it became really clear to me that this could be something interesting right so there's a lot to unpack there but uh i want to go back to like what you you spoke about with the fires uh you know you took a in just beginning kind of what you just spoke about you you took a pretty like rational view of the fires i think which is really important like I don't know enough to say either way, but basically what you're saying is like, no one knows enough to say either way. And to attribute like a single fire to climate crisis is, you know, something that I think for me, like when we have a, you know, not quite as severe, but when we have like a 65 degree day in the middle of winter in New York, people start screaming yeah. that it's the climate crisis. And it's like, it's one day in New York. And like, you know, that's, and yes, the climate crisis, you know, is real, very real, but like to attribute these things, it's just kind of when people I think who are already in denial of what's going on or whatever it might be, hear someone with such like a sense of certainty, attribute one kind of random event to something that's happened. It can be a, a little bit of a turnoff, I think. So it's, it's great to hear from you, at least for me, uh, someone who takes just like a super rational, like we don't have all the facts, but like we generally know what's going on and we need to do something to fix it. And then you talked about how like you have, you know, a limited set of things you can actually do yourself being, you know, you didn't grow up and learn how to be a scientist or, and you know, you're, you're a fashion model, but at the same time, like I think your role is as important or, or even more important than anyone else's in that you can and, and have already begun to, take you know first of all take it upon yourself take the own initiative to learn about all this stuff and then package it in a way that a much larger audience than would ever be interested can can go and learn about it um so let's talk like more specifically about how you're actually doing that like you you previewed uh you know i think like you, you talked about like a makeup video or, or something like that uh i saw one where you were doing skincare and you somehow interweaved nuclear energy, like you literally just were looking in the mirror and, and came up with this type of thing? Yeah, so I, I generally have an idea of where it's going to go in my head before I start writing, um, just because I think of words that would be funny and easy for me to 
you know, to, to morph into, into nuclear energy. So for instance, my, my latest more elaborate video, which was about the density of uranium, I started as, you know, as my diet, what I eat in a day, which is, by the way, a very popular format for influencers, right? A lot of people ask them, what do you eat in a day? What do you eat to stay in shape and et cetera? So, of course, I had talked in a previous video about uranium pellets being the size of gummy bears. So it just immediately, you know, I knew that I had to talk about, I had to incorporate gummy bears into my video. And it's actually funny on many levels because they're, <laughs> if you talk to bodybuilders, they, a lot of them actually eat gummy bears after working out. There is something, and I didn't do a deep dive on, on the science behind it, but there is something about the type of sugar in gummy bears that's actually optimal for after working out to replenish your, your glucose levels after working out. So it was kind of like a joke on, on many levels. And I, I don't know that a lot of people got it, but um, yeah, I just think of words that would be easy to make a transition into. So right now I'm working um, on my next series, which is um, about waste and I'm not gonna give it away, but it's, um, you will see this, this it's just like, I, I think about words that, that I could use in both aspects. And then I just sit down in front of my computer and start typing. And the truth is, most of my creative process is when I start actually recording because I'll start recording and then I start editing. And sometimes, usually the first idea that I have, I hate <laughs> and I end up erasing it, end up having to re-record the whole thing. So it takes me like two weeks total to make one of these videos. Um, but it's when I'm editing is really when I start, when the, the video starts taking its shape. Right. And so, you know, I do want to like dig in for people listening who have no idea what nuclear energy is to, you know, as best we can through kind of these analogies that you use, which are brilliant. Um, like try to teach people. And I know podcast isn't necessarily as ideal a medium as TikTok, but the gummy bear video, like for example, I remember it was basically saying, um, you know, one gummy bear, uh, uranium pellet can create as much energy as I think it was like 2000 pounds of coal. And so you immediately get a sense for like one of the benefits of nuclear energy is that it can be created with much, much smaller inputs. And right. then you went on and another video, you talked about like, you actually explained how nuclear fission works, which like, you know, I'm not really deep in this stuff. I hope to have climate change and climate crisis be more of a theme for the podcast moving forward. Cause I like the cover important issues that I think need radical changes. Um, but, you know, like, how, let's talk about like how you describe nuclear fission and, and chain, chain reaction and, and things like that. Yeah, so it's, I mean, nuclear energy is basically, if you boil it down, it's just a really fancy way to boil water, right? Um, if you think about power plants, all of them use heat to create steam, which spins a turbine which then creates electricity. And nuclear energy, nuclear, nuclear power plants do the same thing, but instead of burning something to create heat, to, to create steam, you actually split atoms, which to me is the most fascinating thing in the entire world, right? I always talk about this, how like, I'm always amazed at the fact that we are literally apes 
and we have figured out a way to split atoms and harness that energy to create light uh, and to power our lives. It's, it's pretty incredible. So if you take you know, a coal power plant, they are burning coal to heat water, to create steam, etc. In a nuclear power plant, you have the reactor score where you have uranium pellets, which is the fuel used. And uranium pellets are roughly the size of a gummy bear, which means they're very, very, very small. But one of those uranium pellets has, and I talk about it in the video, has as much energy as 149 gallons of oil. That's insane. I know like even thinking of these numbers almost doesn't make sense because it's, it's just so shocking to think that this tiny little thing can have as much energy as 149 gallons of oil or 2,000 pounds of coal. So like you said, you know, what that means is that you can create a lot more energy with less materials going in, which also means you can create a lot of energy in smaller spaces, right? Um, so you have these uranium, uranium pellets inside of the reactor score, and then it gets really complicated. So I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, but basically neutrons are released and they smash in the uranium atoms and the atoms become unstable and they split into two. And when the atoms split into two, a ton of energy com comes out of it. That energy hits the water, <laughs> which then creates steam, which spins a turbine. So after that, it's like pretty basic. Um, and one thing that I like to talk about, which I think a lot of people don't know, is that the steam that comes out of a claim tower in a nuclear power plant is actually just water. Um, it's not radioactive at all, and it's just pure steam. You could like put your face up there. It would be totally fine. Um, may, don't take my word for it. I don't know if you could put your face there. But you yeah. Do that as a, a part of the skincare routine, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just open up your pores. Um, <laughs> So that's pretty much it. That's like a nuclear power plant in a nutshell, which is very straightforward. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know where I was going to go with this, but I guess it's pretty straightforward how it works. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. So I guess the next question for me would be, you know, we agree generally the consensus, there's always people who don't, but the general consensus is that the carbon in our atmosphere is increasing and has been increasing over time. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but to a degree that is probably not going to be good. And no one can say exactly how bad it's going to be. It's, you know, we can't really predict the whole earth outcome like that, but uh, it doesn't look good. And so we're trying to rein it in. And, and the problem of adding carbon is only getting worse. And so we're trying to rein it in and you can either recapture carbon from the atmosphere or you can stop it from getting added in from what we continue to do with our energy sources or you can kind of do some of both to achieve the outcome and one of the ways to limit what we're adding in is nuclear and yeah. it's very clean and it works well and you just described it very well and you describe it online i encourage people to go look at it through gummy bears and little alien heads and things like that uh, and it's much more entertaining uh, honestly, but it all sounds pretty good. So why is nuclear energy so controversial? Why isn't anyone, you know, everyone talks about solar. Um, why is it so controversial? 
I haven't figured it out yet. I think the fears that come into play here are very similar to the fears that people have around airplanes, right? People are very much okay with taking the risk daily to drive their cars, yet they are afraid when they go on an airplane. And I think with nuclear energy is very similar in that way, in that when there is an accident, it's going to be on the news and it's going to be scary and there will be an explosion and maybe a radiation exposure. And it's all sounds extremely bad, right? Even to me, sometimes I'm like, am I crazy? But we know that we humans are not very good at assessing risk. We're also not very good at understanding the world, right? So we have to rely on science. So even though airplanes sound a lot scarier than cars, we know they're a lot safer. And it's the same thing with nuclear energy. Even though it sounds a lot scarier, we know, looking at the data, that it's a lot, definitely a lot safer than fossil fuels. I mean, insanely safer. But it's, most calculations I actually put it on par with solar and wind, which is pretty crazy for me. It's like very hard for most people to understand. Um, but, and it's much more powerful, right? It's much more efficient. It's, yes, it's much more efficient. And the truth is, listen, you know, like you said, you gave a very good brief explanation of the problem of like climate change and how we can quote unquote solve it. I'm also careful to use the word solve it. I just use it because of it's practical to communicate in those terms. But I know that we kind of have to just mitigate the effects of climate change now. Um, but in reality, if you looked at the world right now and you said, my number one goal is to decarbonize our economy, meaning get all of our energy from clean sources. The most obvious answer is actually nuclear, much more than renewables. Yeah, and go on. Because, because nuclear works 24 seven, the thing with renewables, and we all know that is that they're intermittent. And sure, we have batteries, and we should absolutely continue building, you know, that technology and we should absolutely invest in all of that. And I'm actually, I'm pro-nuclear, but I'm actually okay with, you know, using every single source of clean energy that we can get our hands on. Um, I'm also, I don't, I don't like the idea and I might be, this might be just totally irrational, but I don't like the idea of us just using one source. Like, I wouldn't like if the whole world just used nuclear energy. I think it's a better approach to just diversify um, and just use all these other amazing technologies. But the truth is that nuclear is extremely efficient. It works. It's safe. And it can be built pretty much anywhere. Um, so if you looked at the world right now, very realistically, very rationally, you, it's very clear that nuclear is probably the best choice. But I understand that that's not the world we live in and I fully support renewables and all the other types of technologies. So now the question is how can we make nuclear energy you know, be a part of, of this, this mix? Um, but, but going back to your question about why people fear it so much, I think it's a combination of that, of just like this you know, one big event that makes it, makes it into the news and sounds really scary. And the pop culture angle that people have just been exposed to nuclear in a, through a bad lens through, you know, the Simpsons and, and other shows. 
Oh, and another aspect is that it's very hard to ignore the fact that people, the world was first introduced to nuclear through nuclear weapons, which is a very unfortunate part of history. And I sometimes wish that fission was discovered in the 50s instead of 1938. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the analogy especially um, makes a lot of sense to me. It's a great analogy. I think all, basically all of what you're doing is involving analogies. And I think that's obviously like a great skill of yours, uh, but the airplane and car example resonates. I think people just drastically underestimate how dangerous driving cars actually is. And I'm like a huge proponent of self-driving cars. I think they'll be a lot safer and save a lot of lives. And I, I don't know why government isn't doing everything they can to get them here faster. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a side tangent. Uh, I want to go with what you talked about with like Chernobyl and, and the Simpsons. Um, I had Vitalik Buterin on who created second biggest cryptocurrency called Ethereum uh, on the show previously. And he was talking about basically how important it is for us to start having, you know, obviously you're doing this short form content, uh, but to start having long form content like TV shows and movies that are actually positive and, and optimistic about the future with all of these different problems that we know we have, like the climate crisis and now a pandemic uh, and people are scared of AI. I just started watching, you know, you talked about Chernobyl, which isn't doing nuclear energy any favors um, to say the least. Uh, I just started watching a show last night actually called uh, Next. It's about artificial intelligence and it's like the first episode is brutal. It's like artificial intelligence literally, uh, you know, conspires to kill a guy for, discovering something about it or, or something rather and it's like we don't have any positive real thing there's ex machina is another movie there's not a lot of like futuristic movies that are super positive except for maybe there's some space movies that are reasonably optimistic but do you think that this is a large part as well of just like changing the narrative of what people are consuming from everything you're doing on like tiktok and twitter and, and instagram to actually like mass media you know, large budget TV shows and movies? Yeah, I'm sh I mean, I'm sure it, that has a huge, that would be a huge part of it. I just, and this is going to become a totally different conversation. It's more about human psychology, which is would those shows and those movies be actually popular, right? Because I feel like people have this tendency to to look for, I mean, there is a reason why, pretty much every religion talks about the end of the day, the end of times. I think humans are very attracted to that idea. And I think it's kind of what gives us purpose in a way is that we're, you know, we're being faced with this huge enemy and oh my God, we're all going to die. Um, so I think it's more, it, it says more about human psychology than it does about um, people making this, this types of content, but I think it would definitely help. Maybe, maybe we can talk about a different enemy, <laughs> you know, maybe we can, we can make still doomsday movies, but that are making the enemy out of something else instead of AI, instead of, in this case, nuclear energy. But um, that's a very interesting thought. And I would be curious to see, it I would be curious to see it as a scientific experiment, if people would be actually interested in, in watching any of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, to some degree, it mirrors what you're doing, right? Like you have talked about like how you're basically hacking this influencer social media formula 
to get a more positive message out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to your point, like human psychology, people, you know, f- uh, for better or worse, maybe for worse, like to consume things that like, uh, you know, anger drives engagement and mm-hmm. agreement drives engagement. So people are always drifting towards things that they already think and things that might upset them. Um, and like, that's, you know, a recipe for disaster to some degree, but you found mm-hmm. a way to like integrate kind of with, with a sense of humor, uh, these actually important, you know, messages of, of inspiration into, you know, the regular stuff. I don't know what to call it, but like the influencer type of routines uh, that do actually get a ton of engagement. And, and so far it seems like it's worked really well for you. So like, what do you think is the importance among all this negativity of, of keeping inspiration and like, you know, a, a can do attitude towards all this, all this like climate change stuff? Oh yeah, I love that question because it's something I think about a lot and it's, I can actually, I don't remember when was the time, but I used to engage with Twitter very differently. I used to criticize things that I didn't like. And I remember one day I, I was like, you know what? I, I see how this is actually hurting me. It makes criticizing things and bringing things down is like junk food in a way in that you feel good the moment you're doing it because it makes you feel better about yourself for like five seconds. But then you just feel worse afterwards, right? Like bringing things down and constantly criticizing. And I decided that the way I want to engage with the world is through promoting the things that I care about and the things that I believe in and standing up for, for, for them. So I decided to... Um, take that approach everywhere in my life and including the climate crisis, right? So instead of a very popular approach that pro-nuclear people take is to criticize renewables for some reason. And I think for the same reason, it just makes you feel like I'm right, you're wrong. And you can see this type of mentality everywhere in our society. Um, But by taking the approach of ignoring the criticism and purely promoting the things that you care about I think really has this effect of inspiring people to be better and inspiring people to want to join your cause and the things that you're talking about. Um, but it's, it's super challenging. I see myself every day fighting this urge to just become like super tribalistic and start bashing other types of technologies. Um, but I think it's, it really pays to focus on the things that, on the things that you care about and believe in and, highlight the benefits of you know whatever you're promoting and and focus on that and and make things lighthearted and make friends make friends with people who are quote unquote on the other side i have been creating alliances with people in the renewables community that hadn't been seen before um and i think it's because of this approach and I think, again, this is like, I'm talking about nuclear energy, but it could be applied anywhere in your life. And I think it would have the same effect. Yeah, well, it's, it's tough because like, to your point on, on kind of human psychology, this tribalistic type of response, like resonates well with the overall public. Unfortunately, there's not enough people who are so like conscious as yourself to, you know, resist the urge to like respond with criticism on something you don't agree with right away. And the negative sentiment and the, you know, black and white one side or the other type of arguments always are the ones that like rise to the top. And it's very difficult to have like a nuanced 
view go viral or like even earlier you talked about how you know you're not hooked on nuclear energy if something better came along you would support it and even as it is the best thing from your perspective you still support solar and wind and promote like having a a diversified approach to things and i think that's great because like you have so many people who just tie their tie themselves to one cause and you know won't let it die and it's I think a very counterproductive way to, to go about solving problems that are all really complex. And like, they're not, you know, people who just want to go like, I'm sorry to say, but I think people who, when it, when it comes to the climate crisis, they won't hear the other side. They just treat everyone with any critique as a climate denier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very closed minded way to operate and you don't hear certain economic arguments and like, how quickly should we move towards this decarbonized future? And like, you know, what are the trade-offs of moving more slowly? And you just can't even have that conversation a lot of times because people are so, um, you know, tied up in, in this one uncompromising vision and then nothing gets done. <laughs> yeah, and I think all of it ties back to like humans wanting, wanting like craving this certainty. We crave to, you know, understand the world around us. And this being attached to this, types of things like being so attached to climate change or to a certain technology kind of gives you this fake fake sense of of you know certainty and understanding what's what the hell is going on the truth is that we're all kind of like trying to figure out what is happening around us we don't know where we came from we don't know where we're going we don't know what any of this means (laughs) and it's it's so easy to become attached to these stories and these narratives and then just completely lose, you know, our rationality over it. Um, and I think we, you know, we all should strive to have just, just better conversations. At the end of the day, like all of these are just conversations and that's why I'm open to criticism and I'm open to all the other answers to, you know, this, the climate crisis, for instance, because at the end of the day, it's the only answer we can have the the answer we can have to all of this will come through better conversations and uh, us understanding the world a little bit better and the only way we can get there is through like through science which is basically just people arguing (laughs) people forget the science is just basically people arguing because you know you observe something you make you make conclusions and then other people come and criticize your observations and maybe they replicate it maybe they don't and um if we, it, if we get too emotionally attached to those conversations and that type of criticism, it just, it just doesn't help. We're not going to be able to solve anything. We, we have to be able to separate our emotions from this argument and, and you know, the observations that we're making around the world. Right. So I, I want to talk a bit about uh, one of the videos that you made, which was Save Diablo Canyon um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the general trend of nuclear plants being shut down i think Mm -hmm. like what's exciting to me just because i haven't said it really explicitly so far what's exciting to me about nuclear energy from what little i've learned about it is that we have this massive problem and a bunch of like really small incremental you know sound nice and like if you do it like you're a good person solutions Mm -hmm. but not actually really any that are huge and like if we just commit in this direction this -hmm. could actually solve a lot of our problems very quickly and yes there's problems related to it you know the new solution itself 
but you know, we can, we can treat those separately. And at least we have a path to something that's reasonable, both, you know, economically, technologically, and just like practically. And when you, you know, I'm in New York, like using, you know, I go to a smoothie place and they're serving me a straw that's like made out of renewables or whatever it is. And it's like a terrible straw and it makes me, you know, and it's doing, I've, I forget the exact numbers, but I was looking at the straw and the impact of these straws versus uh, someone was proposing what I actually thought was a good idea of, of these cups, uh, coffee cups without lids uh, that were basically much better for the environment because you're getting rid of the plastic lid and the savings on the environment from like the lids versus the straws was tremendous. And I was like, all right, like, why are we, that, that actually looks like a pretty good cup. Like, why am I using this terrible straw? And all of that pales in comparison to these much larger solutions, like, you know, fundamentally changing our perspective and removing maybe an, an unnecessary stigma that exists on nuclear energy. Uh, and I imagine that stigma is a part of why, why people are shutting down these plants, but would love to hear kind of your perspective on what's going on there. Yeah, so there is, it's definitely a part of it. Part of it is economical. Um, and I, I don't even get into the details because it's very complex and it's boring. But <laughs> basically, like the only okay arguments for not building any new nuclear in the United States is because of its cost and time to build. Right. We know that the latest nuclear power plants have just um, cost a lot more than they were supposed to, and they've been, you know, they're late. And I understand that argument, but that is not an argument to shut down existing power plants. And keeping them operating is the one thing that everybody agrees on. Pretty much every environmentalist you agree on, you, you talk to will agree with you. Pro-renewables people will agree with you. The truth is that shutting down nuclear, even if you have all the concerns in the world with nuclear, right? Like what about the waste? What about safety and blah, blah, blah. Shutting down these plants doesn't do anything for any of that. Like shutting down Diablo Canyon will not solve the waste problem at all. The only thing shutting down Diablo Canyon will do is increase emissions and diminish the amount of electricity that California has, which is a state that, by the way, is already struggling to get enough electricity. So um, I totally agree with you. This is, I, and I tweeted this a while ago, but I truly believe that shutting down um, nuclear power plants is the worst thing we could be doing for the, for the environment right now in terms of um, climate change. And keeping them open is, is vital for us to decarbonize faster because we know that every time a nuclear plant is shut down, you're in New York, um, Indian Point was one of the reactors was shut down earlier this year. And they promised up until the day it was shut down that it was going to be fully replaced by renewables. Next day, it was fully replaced by natural gas, AKA I call it fracked methane. Because um, I feel like calling it natural gas is a scam. So we know that every time these plants shut down, they're replaced by fossil fuels. Why? Because even in a state like California that has a ton of solar, at the end of the day, like around 6 p.m., you don't get any more electricity from solar panels. So natural gas kicks in and emissions go up every single night. Um, so I'm working actually with a a group of people to, to save Diablo and it's looking more and more like 
you know, like we have a real chance at doing that. There is no technical reason why the plants shouldn't remain open. And I would urge anyone and everyone who cares about climate change and who cares about the planet to focus some time on, on it, on saving existing nuclear plants. It's, it's, I mean, it's a true tragedy that we're letting this happen. And some of it, you know, in some cases, they, they actually should be shut down. Like there was a plant earlier this year that had a technical issue and it was going to be shut down later in the, the year anyway. So they just decided to close it off. And in some cases, you know, that's the, the right approach. But in, in the vast majority of the cases, it's, it's not. And it doesn't take much, you know, you can start just contacting your politicians and maybe organizing groups in your city if you know that your plans are being shut down. And at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of the reasons why is actually political, even though they'll, they'll say it's economical and they'll say something else, it's actually political. Most people are afraid of nuclear and so they oppose the, their local nuclear power plants. And so it's pressure on the, their local politicians to actually shut it down. We know that in California, it's like 90% polit for political reasons. Um, and at the end of the day, we, we the people, <laughs> have the power to actually change our politicians' perspectives on this. And like in the case of Diablo, they were, California was supposed to shut down four gas plants later this year and they decided to keep them open because they don't have enough electricity. So how is it that in a, in a state that is so concerned about climate change, in a state that has passed the, an electric vehicle mandate that after 2035 is going to have a lot more electric cars being charged overnight. So where are you going to get that electricity from? Not from solar, right? We're not building enough batteries to be able to replace Diablo. And even if we did, we won't be able to. So how is it that we are allowing the state to shut down a perfectly fine giant source of clean energy? It's, it's truly beyond me and it's appalling and I'm doing everything that I can to, to save this plant. And I would encourage like all of your listeners and, and everyone to you know, step up and, and contribute to this cause because it's, it's a great cause and it's a very rational, a very rational approach to climate change. Yeah, that all makes sense. And I think that's a great place to wrap up. Um, I'll ask you to, to point people to where exactly or, or what exactly they can do to um, help support that and any other causes that you think are, you know, top of mind and most important right now and, and things that people can actually do. Uh, but before you do that, just wanted to say, uh, you know, Isabel, thank you so much for, for coming on today. I think what you're doing is awesome and inspiring and uh, just, you know, all the kudos in the world for finding this huge issue that you really care about. And it's, it's clear in the way that you talk about it and then finding, you know, a way that you could actually make a meaningful impact. I think it's, it's amazing. And hopefully it sets an example for a lot of people who, you know, even if you're not a scientist or even if you're not whatever it might be in terms of the issue that you care about, you can make a difference in a certain way based on whatever skill set you might have. Oh, thank you so much, Jake. That was truly amazing. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for inviting me.